0: God bless. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you here this morning. I appreciate the effort you make to be here. I know that you could be at home in bed. It was very comfortable this morning, and you took the time to get out of bed, and it is our desire that it would be worth it because we want to encounter God And that is always worth it. And so we're doing all that we can to make that happen. I just want you to know that you are our focus when we uh, gather here together, that we could connect all of us to what God is doing and connect us to one another. It's so important, and it's an important part of what it means to be a follower of Christ. It is not just to learn things. It is about connection, connection with people, connection with God. And so we are glad you are here to make that possible. This morning, we are starting a new series called My Neighbor's Keeper, and we are going to be going through, I don't know how many parts, I've got about four worked out so far, you may have noticed that a few months ago, we did a series called Together, whether, where we talked about what it was like, or actually, no, it was called The Others, that's where it was. It was called The Others, and we looked at how we are supposed to be thoughtful of those who are outside of our uh, sphere of influence, those who are marginalized, though, who may be those who maybe society frowns upon, how Christ was always drawing near to those who everyone else was pushing away, whether it was the lepers, whether it was the tax collectors, whether it was the prostitutes. We found that Jesus was engaging the others, and so that really is to be our posture as well. And then midweeks, we did something called Together where we were looking at how it is that we can step into this, space that our country is in. You know, we're in a, a very divided space where we have the red and blue states, where we have black, white, and blue. We have people who are being very uh, divisive, and the news is promulgating that in such a loud way. What do we do? And, and so we took five parts and talked about that. First, we talked about how First Peter says that we are to honor everyone. And what he means by honoring everyone is that we should honor everyone. That's pretty much what he means, right? It doesn't mean some people, the people you like, the people you agree with. Again, Peter was writing at a time where Rome was dominating their uh, world in a way that wasn't always good, wasn't always healthy, but we are still to show honor. And from that point, we talked about how do we move from a position of hostility to one of hospitality, Our biggest problem isn't our differences. Our biggest problem is that we build an identity enforcing hostility towards one another. And how is it that we can maintain our identity as followers of Christ, but still move to a place of hospitality and care for others instead of the hostility that shows up in so many places? And then... If we are followers of Christ and we're proclaiming this good news, what does good news look like to those who are in difficult situations? What is good news to someone who is impoverished, someone who's suffering from addiction, someone who's suffering from mental health issues? What does good news look like to people who are in need? And how do we step into that need? And we talked about the Good Samaritan, and I'm sure we will again. And then we also talked about how do we embrace those who are different than us? How do we reach out to those who normally we would want to push away and make them into family, that we can start embracing them? There was a story that was told in one of the videos that we watched about a young woman who came into his office and she was the most broken woman that he had ever met. She was just crying. She had uh, been involved with gangs, involved with drug addiction. She had lost two children because of her addiction. They were taken away from her at two different times, which is just unimaginable. And he was sitting across from her, and she was just weeping and crying in this brokenness. And then she started telling him, she said, I wish that you were God. And he just kind of laughed and said, what do you mean? You wish I was God? And just through the brokenness and her tears, she said, because I think you would let me into heaven. And then he started crying. And he just reached across the expanse of the desk, took her hands, and he said, if I get to heaven and you're not there, I'm not staying. The heart that reaches to those who are broken and hurt and extends what Christ has done. This is the meaning of good news. This is the heart of gospel. And we want to continue this. And so this morning, we are going to begin our series on My Neighbor's Keeper. Part one is going to be looking at the book of Ruth. So you have a a copy you can open up to the book of Ruth. And this morning, we're going to be talking about gambling Tears, Hachiko the dog, and Schools in Haiti. But before we get started, I wanted, because we're not going to go through the entire book of Ruth, I wanted to give a short summary of the book so we could kind of know where this is and where it's going. And there's a short video that's put off by The Bible Project. It's a great video series you can look on online on YouTube, but let's watch it briefly. Great little preview of the book of Ruth. Isn't that amazing? Seven minutes. You just went through the book of Ruth. That's pretty great. Again, I encourage you to go through these series. Um, They are incredible on YouTube. You can get them. You can go to their website and find out what those things are. Um, This book is a great example of what it means to bear one another's burdens. It it really is about kindness and loyalty. And, And... We are called into something difficult. We are called into something that's uncomfortable, but it's also something that's necessary and fulfilling, right? It's something that even though it's difficult, as most fulfilling things are, the reward outweighs the difficulty when we persevere through it. Acts twenty thirty five it says, Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And that's what we see unfolding in this book. And so start with verse 1, chapter 1 with me. As we read verses 1 through 5. It says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man named, from Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons, the name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his sons were Mahlon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites Ifri- from Bethlehem in Judea. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Emelech, the husband of Naomi, died and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, which is where Oprah got her name from, by the way, and then she just, people mispronounced it, so she called herself uh, Oprah instead. That's a true story. And the name of the other was, sorry, just that little side note. They lived there about 10 years, and both Melan and Kalan died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. It's a tragic beginning. A family is displaced because of tragedy, because of a famine. And so they're forced to leave their home to go where they can have work and provide food for the family. And as they move there, tragedy befalls tragedy because life is just not fair sometimes. Things are just struggling in this. And for 10 years, they are dealing with this situation. And as uncomfortable as this is, We're being asked to step into this story, this condition, as it's still something that happens today. We know of so many times where people are displaced. We think of the Syrian refugee uh, tragedy that's taking place, the Haitian tragedy that has taken place, and so many people who are forced for survival's sake to go somewhere to provide for their family right whether it's syrian whether it's mexico whether it's haiti whether where it is in the world there are people who are in diverse tragic conditions trying to make ends meet and we are being asked to step into this story and we are asked to be stepped in the story that's taking place all around us as well we we can't detach ourselves from what's happening today from what we're reading here because it, it mirrors so many Lives and so many things that are taking place. They move from the familiar to the unfamiliar, from life to death. Elimelech, her husband's name, it means God is king, and we have to ask ourselves, or I ask in these situations, what kind of God allows a husband and the sons to die and leave these three women vulnerable for 10 years in this tragic situation? We we ask, or I usually ask, God, why? Anyone else ask God why? Okay, good. I'm not alone, right? It's something we ask, and it's okay. It's all right to ask questions. God's big enough. He can handle it. He's not, I'm God, I say so. That settles it, right? Just do as you're told. You know, that's not the heart of God and that's not what we get from him and and so we see that they're struggling even though things are against them and so Naomi takes a gamble to go back to Israel now gambling is one of those things where you are going to lose most likely the odds are against you okay the United States it is estimated Americans lose $119 billion a year to gambling. In the UK, it's $13 billion. That's a lot of money being lost when the odds are stacked against you. Right, And what we see here is for millions of people all around the world, the odds are stacked against them. For Naomi, for Ruth and Orpah, the odds are stacked against them, especially at this time, women, widows, it's not a good thing. And going back to Israel is like the last ditch hope. I'm going to roll the dice one more time, see what comes up. And as she starts to talk about this, as uncomfortable as it is, she pushes forward into this, and the story continues in verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters in law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and had given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters in law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah but naomi said to her two daughters-in-law go return each of you to her mother's house may the lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with me with the dead and with me the lord grant that you may find rest each of you in the house of her husband then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept and they said to her no We will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husband's? kissed her mother-in-law and started a television career but ruth (laughs) clung to her we see here that there is the pressure of the moment naomi says you need to go don't go back with me and this whole idea of if i bear children and raise them up again this is foreign to us but this was common practice in this culture it was known as the kinsman. In other words, the kinsman would be someone you're going to be taken care of by the next in line, the next kin. So if you had brothers and one of them was married and the brother died, well, the wife would go to one of the other brothers so that he could take care of that family, his brother's family. Now, sounds messy. It was, right? That Hey, honey, guess what? You know, guess who's coming to dinner? It's one of those things that is just awkward, but it was what they did at the time to try and continue providing. But that sounds strange to us, but that's how desperate and difficult things were for women at that time. That was their only hope. What happens when there is no kinsman? What happens when there is no brother? There is no relative that you can go to? What are your choices? And Naomi says, you have none, go back. And so Orpah goes back to her people and as she releases them from this obligation, what Orpah did wasn't wrong. It wasn't bad, it was actually smart. She was going to people she was more familiar with, family that she might be able to connect with. She probably had more hope, which is why Naomi released them there, than she did to stay with Naomi. And and so she prays this blessing over them. And when it says that that God would show kindness to them, this word kindness is the idea of loyalty and compassionate devotion. It's the word hesed in the Hebrew. And even as that little video showed, it's really what this story is all about. It's about kindness, this loyalty, this devotion that shows up in the lives of these people. And we see that Naomi is actually doing what is normal when she's saying goodbye to these people who are close to her. She's crying she weeps and crying is something that is difficult for us right we, we try to hold our tears we try not to show emotion it's something you know hey pull yourself up by your bootstraps you know stiff upper lip all those kinds of things but crying is actually the natural response when tragedy happens they've actually found out that when we cry we release toxins that relieve stress right when humans cry there it's a response to those things that are strenuous their tears contain a number of stress hormones and other chemicals and researchers believe that crying could reduce the levels of these chemicals in the body which could in turn reduce stress so if you're stressed you're probably not crying enough right you're probably holding it in and dealing with it and that stresses me out just thinking about it right you mean i gotta cry to relieve stress i'm stressed about crying now It's one of these things where we have a hard time showing emotion harder than she is doing. They're weeping, they're crying, and that's what you do when these kinds of things happen. It is a natural response. If you don't cry, it's unhealthy, it's unnatural. When you go through things, it's okay, it's authentic, it's what we as human beings need to do Because it's a part of life. And so many times we fall into places where we're stressed out and we think we have to hold it all together. And that pressure of trying to hold things together starts to break us. We start to struggle under that pressure. I I can't live up to the standards that I'm holding myself to. And pretty soon I I give in to unhealthy things. That's when I I start drinking. That's when I, I start giving myself to things to try and relieve the stress that only break me. When if I would acknowledge the stress, cry before God who knows what's going on, I could actually find help in those times of need. But it's a proud thing, right? We have, I don't want to show weakness. But here it's not seen as weakness. It feels like God's abandoned her and she's not afraid to express it. Are you? Do you ever feel like, God, where are you? What's going on? I don't get this. This doesn't make sense to me. It's okay to say that. It's okay to express that with people. I'm not lacking faith because I'm feeling abandoned. I'm feeling abandoned. That's okay to say. Just giving you all permission right now, okay? You can all feel abandoned. It doesn't mean you are. And you even know that. But that's how I feel. And so she weeps twice, she weeps with her daughters-in-law and struggles with the pressure of their life, which is incredible at this time. You know, we're unable to discern God's ways or plans, and, and there's no guarantees that things are going to work out like we would like. I mean, this is a wonderful story where things come to a good conclusion, but it doesn't always happen that way. You don't always get your health back. You don't always get the job back. You don't always get the girl back or whatever. You know, you don't always get the things that you would want. And we don't know what God's plans are and we can't see the future. And so she is wrestling with God in the famine of her suffering. And it's something I think we can identify with. She doesn't want her fate to be their fate. She cries out to God. They cry out together. And it's this common theme in scriptures. The Psalms, our tears are flowing. Even Jesus, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There is emotion that is expressed. What's amazing about the book of Ruth is that God's kindness and his loyalty is actually standing right next to Naomi and she doesn't realize it in the person of Ruth. That's really God's way of saying, you just don't see how close I am. You think I'm not here, but I'm standing right next to you. I'm weeping with you. I am here. You just don't see it yet. You don't understand it. And that's the beautiful picture of this story. In verse 15, she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. For your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more so if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. This is a classic verse. You've probably heard it in weddings, even though it's not really a wedding verse if you take the context. But we have a great way of doing that, taking beautiful little things that are very poetic and throw them in weddings. You know, That'll, That sounds good. Let's put it in a wedding. But really, this is a powerful version, and really, this is what conversion looks like right? It's the the moving from what I was to where I want to be. And we start to see again that God is showing his kindness and loyalty through Ruth's kindness and loyalty. The two daughters, one goes back and that's okay. It's to be expected. But Ruth does what's unexpected. And that's what stands out. This is not normal. This is not self preservation. She's showing a loyalty that's unusual. Because she should go back, she should leave. That's what's expected. But she doesn't. So we get this picture of what loyalty really looks like it's sacrificial. There's a story of a dog in Japan. The dog's name was Hachiko. They actually have a monument, a few of them, in Japan. Have you guys heard this story? It's an incredible story. Hachiko's owner would go to the train and the dog would walk with him to the train and meet him there at the train every day. His owner died of a brain tumor one day and did not come home but Hichiko the dog for 10 years kept going to the train at the time that the owner was supposed to get off and come home for 10 years he never failed to go and wait for his owner and when everyone left the train he would go back home but then when dinner time would come he would go back to the train and wait and people would see him just waiting there for his master to get off the train He was adopted by the former gardener of the family. But regardless of his new home, he kept going to see where his master was. That's loyalty. That's faithfulness. For 10 years, this dog did not forget and waited. Incredible, right? It's touching. I mean, you're reading the story and I'm getting all teary-eyed over this dog, right? I'm a dog trainer. I can't show emotion like this. But you see, Ruth is choosing the loyal, compassionate devotion towards Naomi, which is acting, is actually showing her transformation, her conversion. Your people, they'll be my people. Your God, that's going to be my God. Where you live, I'll live. Where you die, I will die. I am there till the end. This is what loyalty looks like. This is what we are supposed to look like in relationship to one another. This is what marriage is supposed to look like, right? This commitment, this faithfulness, this loyalty that is there. And there's something about being committed and being in a place where you are going to be and committed to be regardless Because there are going to be times, I guarantee you, if you're not married, take note of this. There are going to be times when you don't want to feel or be loyal to the situation. You're going to be angry. You're going to want change. You're going to want to go out and get a burger or whatever and not have this conversation. You are going to want an escape from the pressure. And you have the opportunity to be like Orpah or to be like Naomi. A lot of people find it easier not to deal with the situation, right? It's stressful. It's hard. I don't want to step into that. I want to step away from it, find something that's easier, But you see, when you give in to what's easier, you don't grow in depth. You don't grow in substance. I I think about when Karina and I were dating and how magical it was. Oh, my goodness. This girl likes me. Oh, my goodness. You know, do you see how pretty she is? She actually likes me. I was head over heels. I used to do the stupidest, silliest things to try and show her my affection. I can't live like that, right? I lost weight just dating her because I was so excited. You know, like, oh man, you know, now I need to lose weight. But I, I just, I was so excited about that, but I can't live in that constant euphoric attitude. It's eventually got to grow in depth. I eventually got to go to work. I eventually got to do the things that I need to do to function. And so it doesn't become shallow. It actually becomes deep. The the change of emotion is a natural process for love and devotion. And some people never want to take that step because sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's difficult. And have no mistake, this was not an easy thing for Ruth. They were already in a place of famine, going to a new place. She is a Moabite, which means she's a foreigner, right? Or let's use the word alien, all right? That's the word that's popular now. She was an alien. That always conjures up things, right? You know, the movie, Predator, someone's an alien, ET, or whatever. It's not a good thing. So we can call them aliens instead of foreigners or undocumented. Let's give them a name that gives a little bit of, you know, yeah. She was going as an alien into a foreign land, as a widowed woman. She had three strikes against her already. It wasn't an easy thing. But she stepped into that. She's choosing the loyal, compassionate devotion. She is moving into a place that actually is bleak. Her future isn't promising. She sacrifices her own best interests, her limits, her opportunities. And and throughout Scripture and history, it is this unusual devotion, this extraordinary commitment and loyalty that's written about and that's talked about. I mean, not just in Scripture and in life, right? We talk about people who show unusual courage those who run into the burning building when everyone else is running away, those people are remembered because that's remarkable. That is something that is uncommon. And it's the uncommon things that we remember. And we never stop to think, well, why am I trying to live a common life if I'm admiring those things that are uncommon? If I want to live a life that's memorable, I've got to do what is unusual. I have to change from the easy and what's lightest weight for me to carry to move to a place where i'm actually carrying someone else's burden and then you read about a mother Teresa because that's unusual that's uncommon but it is so appealing it is pulling at our hearts because in our minds we think wow someone could be like that and that little voice says why can't you be like that Oh no, that's, that's too hard for me. Who says it's too hard for you? You're telling yourself, your story, and you are limiting yourself. Saying, I just will take Orpah's road. It's a little bit easier, but we never hear about her again. Why? Because not that she did was wrong, it was just normal. It was just ordinary. And we don't hear about the ordinary because it's ordinary. What we hear about is the extraordinary, like what Ruth does. So why wouldn't we want to do what's extraordinary? Why wouldn't we want to step into that? Verse 19, it says, so the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? Naomi. She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly, bitterly with me. Honest, right? God has dealt bitterly with me. How many of you can just, how many of you would feel comfortable saying, you know what? God's dealt bitterly with me. Okay, we got one, two, good, okay. You can talk to her afterwards, all right? It's okay to feel this. She's expressing what's going on in her circumstances. God has dealt bitterly with me. Verse 21, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi, Naomi returned and Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Naomi doesn't see yet that the loyalty of God is closer than she can imagine, that it's there beside her and that often God shows up how and when we least expect it. That really, Naomi's problem isn't God, it's her inability to see what God is doing. And that's always our problem, right? God is always doing something. I just don't see it. I just don't know. And so I'm susceptible to the emotion. And so I cry. And so I I accuse. And so I I struggle and wrestle through these things like we all do. The challenge for us is that when we are feeling this way, when we're feeling abandoned without hope, that God's not in our circumstances, that we start looking for where he might be. The truth is God's loyalty and kindness is always turned towards you that it is always there. And that's where we have to take courage. The truth, he's always loyal. He's always kind. Jesus said, in the world, you're going to have trouble, but take courage. I have overcome the world. What are you saying? I'm with you. I'm going to see you through this. I know you will have trouble, but you can take courage. I'm there. And I'm going to see you through it. Again, we don't know how. We don't know in what way. But this is his promise to us. He says he's working all things for the good to those who love him. Those who are the called according to his purpose. Right? These aren't little quotes that you throw at someone when they're in the struggle. This is the reality of God in the struggle with us. Going through these things. You see, God is rewriting this story. Even as that little video showed, here we saw there was tragedy, there was death. We saw the loyalty of Ruth and we're seeing that God is gonna bring back from that tragedy a life. And through the loyalty of Ruth and the loyalty of Boaz, we see that God was loyal all along. In the midst of your grief, in the midst of my struggles, God is present and he welcomes us to invite him into the midst of those struggles can you find the kindness it might be right next to you more importantly the question maybe should be can you be the kindness that is needed for the person who is next to you you see this whole thought of being my neighbor's keeper is if there is a need, how do I step into that and become what that person needs to help them see that God hasn't abandoned them, that God is there. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 12, it says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. I love this verse. No one has seen God, but they see you and they see how you act towards one another. And guess what? That's like seeing God. See, Naomi couldn't see God, but Ruth was there loving, caring for her, and she didn't know it, but there was God right there. You can be that for somebody else. You can be the presence of God in a hard situation in someone's life if you will step into it. Ah, step into that hard situation. I got enough hard situations. Anyone feel that with me? I feel that, man, I say that, and already I'm staying it, and I'm going, uh don't say that, right? As it's coming out of my lips, I'm thinking, oh, man, that's asking something of me. See, some of us are still in chapter 1, and we don't realize what's happening. We're going to get to chapter 4. That this devotion, it challenges me. It challenges my faith. It it displays what kindness is supposed to look like. It challenges my devotion to God. It it challenges my loyalty towards him. What does it look like to be loyal towards God? I, I, I could easily be like Orpah and I could just want to live my own life. And again, there's nothing wrong with just living that ordinary life. It's not like I'm doing something criminal. I'm just not doing anything special. There's so much that I can do. Why would I choose to invest myself in something like the kingdom? I have so many choices before me of how I can live to please me. Why would I want to take those choices that would make me feel happy and invest them in something that is going to be difficult? See, unless we believe that God is our reward and honors loyalty and compassion, then there's really no reason to. But that's not what I believe. I do believe it is more blessed to give than to receive. I do believe that it is the heart of God to reach those who are in need and help them. I believe that to live a fulfilling life, that is what I am called to do. That is the invitation to all of us. That is the opportunity that is there. We each have the opportunity to be a Ruth in somebody else's life. I want to talk about maybe what this looks like, at least to me. And sorry, Denise, I'm going to embarrass you. Um, You know, schools in Haiti. Where's the picture? There's. In a rural school in Haiti, this is from the For a Reason Facebook page, Denise's Facebook page there for that. uh, It says that less than 70% of the girls who begin school ever finish They want to change that. She wants to change that. See, what does it mean to step out of my comfort and into something that's challenging and difficult is what I see Denise doing with For a Reason. You know, Denise retired, and she could have been on a beach in Newport drinking mimosas, right? And... (laughs) And there's nothing wrong with beaches in Newport and there's nothing wrong with mimosas, right? But she's chosen, (laughs) you guys aren't helping me here. Um, She has chosen instead to go to Haiti, to be in a humid hotel in Haiti, drinking prestige instead, right? She has chosen to step into a different arena when at this part of her life, she could retire and Do all those things that you're saving up to be able to do. You're supposed to be able to go and relax. You're supposed to be able to go on vacation. You're supposed to be able to, this is the end of my life. This is where I get to to do what's for me. And instead she is saying, no, I am choosing to do this for others. And she's being Ruth in the lives of all these students that she's helping to actually get through school, that she's helping to deal with the schools and the feeding and all these things. And I know it's not easy. I've talked with her. I'm on the board of the, the company or the corporation. I mean, it's, we've had talks and it's like man i'm not sure what to do you go to haiti and the need is just so big it feels like nothing i do will make a difference but it does make a difference not only to those child to this girl or to the girls that she's sponsoring the people she's helping it makes a difference to her it gives meaning to her and it gives an example to me and to you of what it means to be a person who is kind and to be loyal and it's different and the world needs different if we're going to make a difference, we need to be different. And I need to be shaken up by God sometimes and says, wake up, what is your life? Is this all about you or are you willing to step into the lives of others even though it's going to cost you? What do you want your life to look like? And I want it to look like Ruth's life because that's where God shows up. That's what motivates us. Denise won't talk about it, but she got cholera on one of the trips that she was there. And she was sick, sick, sick. I was there on that trip. Where's Denise? She can't come out right now. She went back. She keeps going back. She was there for over a month one time. That was after she got cholera. Right? You get mosquito bites and all those things, things that they live with. We have medication and things to help us. They don't. She's gone there to be that. I think before all of us is the invitation to follow Christ, not to live the safe status quo post biblical Christian life, but to step into that, has said, that kindness, that loyalty, that faithful devotion to God that takes us out of our comfort towards His care for others. The question I want to ask is what motivates you? Jesus said, to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. See what Boaz was to Ruth and to Naomi, Christ is to us. And what Ruth was to Naomi, you can be for someone else. This is what it is to be your neighbor's keeper. It's to be a person of sacrifice, kindness, and loyalty to the people that God puts in your life. You can't be that to everybody. But there are people you have to be that to. Will you? Will we? Let's pray. Lord, it's stories like this that challenge us that push us into places that are uncomfortable. To be an alien widow in a foreign country is not a good place to be, and yet it is where Ruth chose to be because of her loyal devotion to Naomi. Lord, being a follower of you sometimes takes us into the lives of people that it's not comfortable to be with. Situations that are difficult, but it's the place where you are and you're inviting us to follow you there. And I pray for all of us here, Lord, us who are a community of believers, and this is bigger than Genesis. This is about your church, Lord, that belongs to everyone throughout this world. You're calling us to be more. You're challenging us to be unusual, to be the exception, to be different. And Lord, it's a struggle for us when we get caught up in just the struggles that we have and just wanting to make it easier. Lord, we can miss out on what you are doing by leaving and taking the easy road. God, there's nothing wrong with it, but there is something better. And I pray that all of us here would want the better. I pray that we are here this morning because we want the better. And and maybe it's been dormant. Maybe we've been sleeping a little bit and awaken us to what is there, the more. May we step into the more. May we work together to see that more can happen. May we be that for those who are around us. And Lord, may by us being our neighbor's keeper, we do what you said. Prove to the world that we are your disciples because of how we love one another. Lord, I don't want to lead a church. I want to be a part of your movement that is changing the world. I don't want to think small. I don't want to settle for less when you are putting before us more. God, give us courage. Help us to be genuine. Thank you for accepting us in all our dysfunctions just as we are and willing to meet us here so that we can do more. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. May your devotion to Christ lead you to live an extraordinary life. May you recognize that God is closer than you realize. And may you be the presence of God for someone who is in need near you. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. Hope to see you Wednesday or next Sunday. You have been listening to the Genesis podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com